This is Dom Bettinelli, the CEO of SQPN, with a brief but very important message. For more than a decade, SQPN has produced the Catholic faith and pop culture podcasts that you love. We're a nonprofit organization, so it's only your generosity that lets us carry out our mission. We haven't run a fundraiser in two years, and that's why we need to ask for your help right now. Please make a pledge of whatever amount you can afford to help us continue providing your favorite podcasts, as well as exciting new ones we have planned. To make your pledge and find out about the free thank you gifts we'd like to send you, visit sqpn.com slash give. That's sqpn.com slash give. Thank you for your generosity. May we hear from you today? You're listening to episode 19 of Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World, where we look at mysteries both natural and supernatural from the twin perspectives of faith and reason. In this episode, we're talking about when was Jesus born? I'm Don Mettinelli, and joining me today is Jimmy Akin. Merry Christmas, Jimmy. Merry Christmas, Dom. How are you doing? Even I, though it's technically still Advent when uh, when we're <laughs> recording this and when it'll go up. That's right. But uh, as as this is going out, uh, it is just a couple days before Christmas, and so I'm 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 virtually in the spirit of Christmas. Uh, as we get started, folks, I want to remind you to like Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World on Facebook. We have a Facebook page to uh, share and retweet the episodes as they go up on Facebook and on Twitter. Leave us comments, subscribe to the podcast. If you've not yet subscribed in iTunes, Google play stitcher, tune in your favorite podcast app or YouTube where you should hit the bell to get notifications. And above all, please share the podcast with your friends to help us grow our community and reach more listeners. Uh, Jimmy, we're getting close to the end of December, close to the end of the year and close to the end of SQPN's giving campaign. Yeah. So um, it's very important that people help us out during the giving campaign. We haven't run one in two years and we've in, we've created a whole new slate of podcasts, including Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World. We did that stepping out in faith that once we created them and showed the listeners the value of these podcasts, that they would respond by underwriting the costs that are associated with them. Um, I personally, I don't, I don't, I'm not making anything out of any of these podcasts. I don't get any compensation, but there are costs that are associated with getting them online and edited and hosted and so forth. And we really do need your help if we're going to keep doing them. Uh, we have had people responding by going to sqpn.com slash give and becoming one of our regular monthly supporters on Patreon but not enough. We're not where we we're not even close to where we need to be at this point based on the most recent numbers. So uh, we are in the spirit of giving uh, in the season of giving as we approach the anniversary of Christmas, the anniversary of God's greatest gift to us, his own son. So uh, please uh, enter into the spirit of giving and help uh, support SQPN and all of its podcasts, including Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World. The way to do that is by going to sqpn.com slash give and becoming one of our supporters. We have some wonderful thank yous that are based on the show and things we've talked about previously that we'd love to send you. But the key is going to sqpn.com slash give and helping keep this program and all the others we produce going forward. Thank you so much and Merry Christmas. 
So as as you've heard, it is uh, it is almost Christmas. Uh, Christmas is just a few days away. Uh, December 25th. That's that's the day Jesus was born, right? Well, that's the question that we're addressing here. The the mystery is, um, was Jesus born on December 25th? And uh, is there evidence one way or the other? So, Jimmy, what 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 is the evidence or what you know, what is the claim that that we of, of this mystery about when Jesus was born? Well, there are two sets of claims. The first set is the anti December 25th set. So people will say Jesus wasn't born on December 25th. Some will say he couldn't have been born on December 25th because the shepherds wouldn't have had their flocks out in the field at that at night at that time of year because it would have been too cold. That's something that Luke mentions was the case in uh, Luke chapter 2 verse 8 where he talks about how the shepherds were tending their flocks by night when the angels appeared to announce the birth of Jesus to them. Some will also say that Christians got December 25th from a pagan holiday, so it's of pagan origin. Uh, And so those are kind of the anti-December 25th claims. On the other side, you have other claims. Uh, Some people will say, well, Jesus was definitely, for sure, born on December 25th. Some will say that the Catholic Church claims that he was born on December 25th. Some will say that to deny that is an attack on Christianity. And some will argue that the early Christians would have been intensely interested in the day of their Savior's birth and would have recorded it based on Mary's memory of the day. Okay. So these are our competing claims. It was on December 25th or, or couldn't have been on December 25th. So what do we have? So what's our our basis? What what can we what can we say with uh, certitude about when Jesus was born? Well, we can say that he was born, and he was born on one of three hundred and sixty six possible dates. <laughs> of course, because we don't know if the if it was a leap year even uh, when, right. when he was. We born. have a pretty good idea about that, but yeah. yeah. So um, obviously, the, the we we could start with a faith perspective from this. So, so mm-hmm. what is what does our faith say about about this question? From a faith perspective, well, the church celebrates. Jesus's birth on December 25th, but that's not a matter of church teaching. Uh, From a faith perspective, we don't have to know the precise timing of Christ's birth. The key thing is that he was born and that he did redeem mankind. The precise date on which he was born is not something that is essential to our faith, and the church has has no teaching on the matter, Um, although it does use a particular date for purposes of celebrating his birth. Right. It's, you got to celebrate it someday. So we might as well pick a day. Uh, OK, so uh, what does reason tell us about the day that Jesus is born? Well, um, so let's start with the sheep claim that Jesus could not have been born on December 25th because the shepherds wouldn't have had sheep in the field. Total nonsense. Okay. I mean, total nonsense. Um, let's start with a very specific case. They have sheep in Shepherd's Field in Bethlehem on Christmas Eve today. <laughs> um, this is uh, this is something that was documented in a letter from uh, this kind of famous in biblical chronology circles. Um, <clears throat> there is a letter written on January 16th, 1967 uh, by the New Testament scholar Harry Mulder, who was teaching in Beirut, but he had visited Shepherd's Field at Bethlehem 
on the on Christmas Eve, nineteen sixty six, and he wrote a colleague and said, named William Hendrickson, and said, "Right near us, a few flocks of sheep were nestled. Even the lambs were not lacking. It is therefore definitely not impossible that the Lord was born in December." So, modern shepherds have no problem in in Israel having their flocks out at night uh, on Christmas Eve, even on December, even in the the end of December. And you know what? <clears throat> They're not the only shepherds who don't have a problem with that. People who care for sheep are aware of the fact that sheep have wool on them. <laughs> and the wool is designed to keep heat in and keep moisture and cold out. That's what it's there for. So right. sheep have their own climate regulation system that they walk around in. <laughs> <laughs> and and consequently, having sheep which evolved to be to live outdoors, um, having them outdoors in the cold is not a problem for the sheep. If you Google winter sheep care, it, you will find all kinds of websites from people who keep sheep telling you, no, you don't need to put them in a barn in the winter. They are <laughs> fine outside. You'll even find pictures of sheep with snow on them. Right. Um, so. It, this is not an issue for the sheep. The sheep, it may not be their favorite time of year, but they certainly can deal with the cold. That's what the wool is for. Yeah. They they are fine outdoors. And, and besides, the Israelites yeah. didn't have big heated barns to put them in <laughs> yeah. anyway in, right. uh, in the first century. Not to mention the fact that, you know, the Holy Land, Bethlehem, is a much more moderate climate than many much more northerly places where the sheep live outside year round. Yeah. And yeah. if a and if a human being needs to be outside on De on Christmas Eve, December 24th at night, very often they'll actually be wearing a wool coat and wool. hat. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so if it if it works for us, it'll work for the creature that it was originally on. Okay. So we I think that's a that's a pretty good uh, response on that. So what about some of the other uh claims about the uh Christmas uh, dating? So so you know, you have this claim that uh Christmas is based on a pagan holiday and part of me it wants to say so what? I mean, even if that were true, big deal. Um Christians, and, and we see this in other contexts, Christians periodically have said, okay, here's a celebration that has something problematic about it. Let's create an alternative that's going to be wholesome. Um, and, you know, you see this in in some Protestant uh, churches with Halloween. They don't like the modern celebration of Halloween. They think it has too many occult themes in it and so forth. So they say, let's have a harvest festival or celebrate Reformation Day or something like that to have a wholesome alternative to the Halloween celebration. Well, if early Christians did that for some pagan holiday, big deal. Uh, <laughs> subverting pagan holidays would be a good thing. So uh, <laughs> so what? Um, but in point of fact, the evidence for whenever you have these claims that some Christian holiday is based on a pagan one, they don't really have a good track record. I mean, you have claims that the same kind of claims about Easter. And they're total bunk. We know Easter isn't even called Easter in most languages. It's like in English and in some areas in Germany, they'll call it basically the, an equivalent of Easter. In most languages, it's called something like Pasqua or Pasqua or things like that, which are all derived from the holiday's true origin, 
Passover. Right. Pesach. And so it's the it's the Christian we call it Easter in English because English is a weird language. <laughs> but in all of the other common European languages, it's the its name is derived from Passover because that's when Christ was crucified and thus when he rose from the dead, it was at Passover time. And so um it's the Christian equivalent of Passover, not the Christian equivalent of some pagan holiday. Well, when you start to look at the claims regarding Christmas, you have similar problems. So one holiday, if you're going to say it's a pagan holiday, okay, which one is it based on and how do you know that? Well, in terms of which one, some people will say, oh, it's based on Saturnalia, which was a festival to the god Saturn. And it was kind of an ancient equivalent of April Fool's Day. You'd have these comic social role reversals that people would do during Saturnalia. And Saturnalia did come in December, but not on the 25th. <laughs> it was uh, it was originally on the 17th, and eventually they kind of extended it out to the 23rd, but it was already over by the 25th. So it's not based on Saturnalia. Um, th- another alternative that you hear more these days is that it's based on Saul Invictus, or the birth of the unconquerable sun. And we know that there was a cult of Saul Invictus at Rome. Um, in It was actually introduced uh, by the Emperor Aurelian considerably after Christianity. And there's a question of, and there was a celebration of, uh, it seems, of Saul Invictus on December 25th, but which was also reckoned as the winter solstice, so it would make sense for that to be the birthday of the sun when the days start to get longer. Um, but there's a problem in that the first mention of the birth of the unconquerable is in a document called the Chronography of 354. It was a kind of calendar from the year 354. Mm-hmm. And it does mention that on December 25th, you have the birth of the unconquerable and that they had some games that they celebrated, meaning like horse races um, on that day um, to celebrate it. But the thing is, this is in 354. This is after Christianity is a legal religion and right. a popular one. And is it the unconquerable son they're talking about, or is it the unconquerable Christ? Because elsewhere in the same document, it dates Jesus's birthday to December 25th. So this is the first arguable uh, instance we have of Saul Invictus uh, being celebrated on December 25th, and Christmas is already being celebrated on December 25th including by earlier Christians. And it's not even clear we're talking about the birth of the Son. It could be the birth of Christ. So there's significant problem there. Uh, And then, as I mentioned, we already had Christians before uh, the introduction of of Saul Invictus claiming that Jesus was, in fact, born on December 25th. And we'll talk about that as we go on. Okay. So... Uh, what about this claim that uh, that the the Catholic Church says that that Jesus was born on December twenty fifth, and that's a matter of faith? Yeah, it's not. Um, <laughs> you can't look at a church calendar and say, okay, the church celebrates this liturgy on this day, therefore that's the day it happened in history. 
Um, there is often some correspondence between the day of a liturgical celebration and an event in history, but not always. Um, for example, it's common to celebrate the memorials of martyrs on the day that they were martyred, but not always because <clears throat> um, some martyrs, we don't really know what day they were martyred on. Others, well, guess what? A bunch of martyrs all got martyred on the same day in different years. And if you had to celebrate it on the day of their martyrdom, we would end up not celebrating some of these martyrs. So they move them around on the, the celebration around on the calendar so that they all get celebrated, even if it wasn't on the day of their martyrdom. Um, same things with non-martyr saints in the day of their death. Look at, uh, for another example, look at Easter. It's always on a Sunday near Passover, but it's not the same day of the year every year. It mm -hmm. moves around. So the celebration on a particular calendar day of an event does not mean this event literally occurred on that day in history. Otherwise, I know Dr. Who says time can be rewritten, <laughs> but the date of um, of Christ's resurrection is not literally being rewritten every year to correspond with Easter. That's its liturgical celebration, but really it happened on a single day in history in our timeline. Okay. So uh, some people will say, as you mentioned, that uh, to, to dispute that uh, Christmas, you know, that the birth of Christ occurred on December 25th is an attack on Christianity. Well, and sometimes it is. I want I want to be fair to this charge because sometimes you do get people who will, at a, a, a as a kind of anti-Christian know-it-allism, will just say, "Well, you know, Jesus wasn't born on December twenty-fifth. He was born on this other date, or at this other time of year, or he couldn't have been because sheep." And <laughs> and and they are, you know, trying to run down Christianity or undermine it in some way. So some people do that, but the claim itself doesn't. Um, the claim itself is a neutral claim. I'm just saying he was born on December 26th. You know, is that doesn't challenge the faith any more than the fact that, oh, Jesus wasn't really born in 1 BC. He was probably born in 2 or 3 BC. That doesn't, that doesn't challenge the faith. This is a matter of history. Um, that And although the faith is rooted in history, the particular day or the particular year, if it turned out it was different, it, it doesn't cause a crisis of faith. The truth of the faith is still the same. It, we just would have a different, more refined understanding of exactly when the event occurred, because the New Testament doesn't tell us the dates of either of these events. Okay. So what about the claim that, you know, because early Christians, you know, this would have been an important day for the early Christians, and they celebrated on December 25th because they remembered, they would have remembered what day it was. Yeah. Uh, and so there's, and I'm not going to name any names here, but there, there is, um, there are some people in the Catholic apologetics community who none of whom work at Catholic Answers. But there are some people out there who have been making these kind of claims that the church claims this and that it's an attack on the faith and that the early Christians just would have been intensely interested in this date. And so they would have written it down and they would have remembered it because Mary would have remembered it. It was such a precious thing to her to know the birthday of Jesus and to remember that for her whole life. Well, <clears throat> if they were so interested in it, why is it not in the New Testament? Right. If it was really this precious thing 
that was vital that they record, they would have recorded in the New Testament and they didn't. Um, and this leads us to the underlying problem with this line of argument, which is it presupposes a modern Western approach to birthdays. In our culture, birthdays are very important. We, uh, we all have our birthdays officially recorded in state documents. We then celebrate it every single year. It would be considered weird not to celebrate your birthday. So we have annual reminders of it with special food and parties and gifts and all kinds of things. We make a huge deal out of birthdays. But that's our culture. That is not every culture. Lots of cultures do not operate that way. Um, one of the things that's very different in our culture compared to some other cultures is we have a very high degree, not just of literacy, of the ability to read, but of numeracy. Uh, we, we treat numbers as very important and we have very developed mathematics. Well, that's not everybody. Cultures like the Walpiri in Australia, their counting system goes one, two, many. <laughs> They're not keeping track of their birthdays. Right. <laughs> you right. Know, they, if you're doing one, two, and many, you have no idea what day of the year you were born. You may remember the general season, but, um, but unless you've encountered missionaries with their fancy Gregorian calendars, you're not keeping track of your birthday. And it's not just the Walpiri. Um, in Middle Eastern cultures, this is like Bedouin cultures, um, this is something a lot of Westerners are really shocked to learn. They frequently don't know how old they are. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, they, the, if you ask, if if you, this is something that like uh, biblical scholars are aware of because you know they go to these places and they interview people in these cultures. If you ask, you know, like Bedouin young person, how old are you? You'll get completely different answers on different days when you ask that question because he doesn't know. He's just making it up. Um, he has kind of a guess based on his physical appearance, but he doesn't actually remember the year he was born. Yeah. Um, their parents don't either. Um, if you ask, and I remember, um, you know, um, taking one course where a scholar was talking about this, you know, I asked, he said, I asked, um, you know, a father, how old is your son? And the father's answer was, well, you remember when this political event happened a number of years ago, my son was born about that time. Huh. Um, and yeah. so, you know, they just don't keep track of ages and birthdays the way we do. Um, so you can't assume that Mary or the early disciples had a modern Western approach to birthdays. If you look at what Jews at the time did, we find and what Christians subsequently did, um, we find a lot of ambivalence and even hostility towards birthdays. Hmm. There are only a, there are only um, a very few celebrations of birthdays mentioned in Scripture. They are all by nobility. One of them is Pharaoh in the Old Testament. Uh, another is uh, one of the uh, Seleucid rulers um, in the time of the Maccabees, and another is Herod, um, who put to death John the Baptist. And so, nobility would at times celebrate their birthdays and they would often do things on their birthdays that were considered really bad, like killing John the Baptist or compelling Jews to celebrate 
a pagan thing on the king's birthday during the Seleucid times. And so a lot of ordinary Jews didn't want to have anything to do with birthdays. And uh, a lot of early Christians followed that practice. For example, this is a quotation from the early Christian writer Origen, writing about the year 241 in his Homilies on Leviticus. If you want to look it up, this is Homilies on Leviticus, chapter 8, section 2. And he's quite disparaging on the subject of birthdays. He says, not one from all the saints, so these are Christian saints, is found to have celebrated a festive day or a great feast on the day of his birth. No one is found to have had joy on the day of the birth of his son or daughter. Only sinners rejoice over this kind of birthday. For indeed, we find in the Old Testament Pharaoh, king of Egypt, celebrating the day of his birth with a festival, and in the New Testament Herod. However, both of them stained the festival of his birth by shedding human blood. For Pharaoh killed the chief baker and Herod, the holy prophet John, in prison. But the saints not only do not celebrate the festival of their birthdays, but filled with the Holy Spirit, they curse that day. So Origen, based on yeah. the practice of his time, says, uh-uh, no, we're not celebrating, we're not commemorating these things. So the so, so what we have is you know the that kings would would they'd remember their birthday because things were dated from the the year either that the king's reign began or when the king was born. And, yeah. yeah. Um. So you know Jesus is would have been important enough to Christians that they would want to maybe celebrate his birthday and thus have a feast of Christmas. But until his ministry began, when he was thirty years old. It probably wasn't being remarked upon, you know, very much like being kept track of. I mean, is that yeah. kind of what we're saying? Certainly, we don't have evidence. We don't have evidence that um, his birth would have been marked by his family every year. Like they, we just don't have evidence for Jews in this period throwing birthday parties for their little kids, uh, like we do. We and even after Jesus's ministry began, um, they probably didn't throw a birthday party for Jesus every year um, for the three or four years of his ministry. We, we just, we don't have evidence for that uh, being an ordinary practice in their culture as culture changes. um, Wanting to know more about someone's birth and even celebrate it comes into play, but you can already see like by origins time, origin doesn't have any interest in doing this. Um, Birthdays for him or celebrating birthdays is a bad thing. He wouldn't want to dishonor Jesus by throwing him in the same category as Pharaoh or Herod or somebody like that. Interesting. So, um, so what about the the, the claim so, that uh, there is one one other oh, point I wanted to make about this? Okay, even if it were true that Mary would have remembered and 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 communicated to the disciples when what the specific day of Jesus's birth was that doesn't tell us what that day was you're going to have to fight out the issue of is it december 25th or something else separately from just the idea that well mary would have preserved this and then the and and then told other people um that only works if the early christians are unanimous that it was the 25th if we don't have any competing evidence okay i mean you'd have to have uh some you know written down somewhere perhaps Mary said yeah. that Jesus was born on 
December 25th or something along those lines. Yeah, or uh, we, at least a consensus of people early on saying this is when it was. Okay. So what about this claim that, you know, that no, no, it's definitely December. He was definitely born on December 25th. Well, you're going to need to back that up with some one or another kinds of evidence. And one kind of evidence that people have pointed to is from the New Testament, actually. Um, <clears throat> we have in Luke, in his infancy narrative, the story of Zechariah the priest, who's the father of John the Baptist. And he um, he's he goes to perform his his duty at the temple and because they had like 8,000 priests at this time, there was no way they could all minister at the temple at one time. And so they were divided into these 24 courses of priests. <clears throat> and then the courses would go for uh, twice a year to do their ministry at the temple. And it's actually fascinating. They they would minister at the temple so infrequently that you had like the professionals at the temple who were also priests who would tell the visiting priests, okay, here's how you do this ritual. So they would like coach them through the rituals because they almost never did them. And um, so Zechariah has showed up for his time of service and the angel Gabriel appears to him and says, guess what? <clears throat> no, you haven't had a kid up to now, but your wife Elizabeth is going to become pregnant and um, and he's going to be this prophet, John the Baptist. So Zechariah goes home. He uh, Luke tells us that after that time, Zech uh, Elizabeth did become pregnant. And then while he, while Elizabeth was in her sixth month, Mary, Mary is also visited by the um, the angel Gabriel, who announces the birth of Christ, says the Holy Spirit will come upon you. You're going to have a son. He's going to save his people from their sins. You're going to call his name Jesus. And so people have said, ooh, if we could figure out when Zechariah was on service at the temple and then assume that as soon as he got home that night, Elizabeth got pregnant, and then exactly six months later, Gabriel appeared to uh, to Mary, and she became pregnant that instant, even though he used the future tense describing when the Holy Spirit would come upon her. He didn't say, the Holy Spirit is coming upon you. He says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. But even we ignore that and say she became pregnant right at that moment. And then add exactly nine months to that, because we all know that all human babies are born exactly <laughs> nine months after they're conceived. Then we could figure out the exact date of Jesus's birth based on when uh, Zechariah got home from his service at the temple. And guess what? That calculation gives us December 25th. So that's one line of argument for December 25th. But now, does it but does it work out that way? <laughs> You can tell by the way I've presented it, there are some problems. Um, so one of the problems is that these orders of priest went on duty twice a year. So how do you know which one Zechariah got the message from Gabriel in? It, we, that right there could throw the calculation off by six months. Second problem Scholars are not sure exactly when these courses of priests were on duty. Um, they have conjectures, but different scholars have different conjectures, and it is not entirely clear when Zechariah's course would have been on duty. 
furthermore, uh, the Jewish year has, like our year, has uh, sometimes some added days to it. Uh, in the Gregorian calendar, we add one day every four years, except if it if the year it ends in double zero. Um, but about every four years, we add a day. Well, the way the Hebrew calendar worked, because it was a lunisolar calendar, um, they had to add a whole month. It's called second Adar. They would have to add a whole month about every three to four years. And they didn't have it pre-planned at this time. The authorities in Jerusalem would note the phase of the moon with respect to certain signals in nature and say, oh, this year we better add a month. So we don't know if there was a second Adar in um in in the year that John the Baptist was born or that Jesus was born that could throw things off by 30 days um then we have the fact that Luke doesn't say Elizabeth became pregnant the night that Zechariah got home um it just says after this time she became pregnant so there's some unknown period of time there Gabriel tells Mary that Elizabeth is in her 6th month that means five months have been completed, and now she's in the sixth, but the sixth month has not yet been completed. So she's somewhere in this 30-day period between the completion of the fifth month and the completion of the sixth month. That's another 30-day period of ambiguity. Then you have the future tense when he says, you will conceive in the future. He doesn't mm -hmm. say, this is happening this instant as I'm talking to you. Um, so we don't know actually exactly how long uh, it was. It could have been that instant and he could have been using the future tense kind of poetically, but it might have been some period after that. Then there's the fact that babies are not born exactly nine months after conception. Um, we we commonly say nine months in our culture because if you the actual average number of weeks after last ovulation is 40. And you divide 40, um, it comes out to a little bit, but kind of between nine and 10 months. And in our culture, we say, let's make it easy. It's split it into trimesters and call it nine months, but it's really not. Um, and But not everybody does that. In biblical culture, it would get reckoned as 10 months. And you see that in wisdom. If you look, for example, in wisdom, chapter seven, verses one and two, talks about the 10 months of pregnancy. And so um, so all of that adds up to a good bit of ambiguity. You can't just make these neat, easy assertion assumptions um, and deduce the date of Christmas based on when Zechariah would have gotten home from his course of service at the temple. Um, you can kind of try to guess it. And, and if you look in a book that I actually like a lot, it's Jack Finnegan's Handbook of Biblical Chronology, he does sketch a case along these lines where if you assume Zechariah went to the temple, that he got the message at his temple service during this time of year, then Jesus would have been born in the winter, sometime between December and February. But that's about as close as you could get it based on this kind of argument. And even that could be thrown off by six months. If you make the opposite guess of which temple service Zechariah was was doing when he got the message. So you can kind of come up with 
arranged, but there's no way to use the uh, the available evidence to 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 come down and say he was born this on day. this day. I mean, you have right. to make all kinds of assumptions that don't bear out in any other situation. Um, yeah, and and even then, it's all predicated on an assumption that could throw it off by six months and put it in the other half of the year entirely. <laughs> right. Okay. So, uh, um, you, uh, the other part of the problem is is that the the, the church fathers are are not as you said before are not in agreement of the day. Right. So so this is so th- since we can't show it using a biblical argument, we then have to just turn to the church fathers and say, okay, what do they say? Where you know when do they address this? And there are several early fathers that talk about this. Uh, the first that I've been able to locate is Clement of Alexandria. Um, he he uh, wrote around the year 194. So this is about two centuries after after Jesus's actual birth. Um, and so it may preserve um, a, a, an accurate memory of when Jesus was born, but it also may not, especially if they weren't putting a lot of emphasis on birthdays in Jesus's social circle, you wait 200 years, are you going to have an accurate memory of this? Well, Clement of Alexandria says Jesus was born on November 18th on our calendar. Um, So that's not December 25th. And this is the earliest record we have of the day of Jesus's birth. And it's not December 25th. But it's also not the only one, because Clement mentions that other people his contemporaries in around the year 194 said Jesus was born May 20th. Completely different month, Mm -hmm. six months different. Other people who, and he mentions these people were Gnostics, said Jesus was born either on April 19th or April 20th. So there's another couple of possibilities that are also in the spring. Hmm. You go a few years after Clement of Alexandria, and we have a writing by Hippolytus of Rome, and he's writing about the year 204, so about a decade after after Clement and about 210 years after Jesus was born. And he says Jesus was born on December 25th. And so this is the first record we have of someone dating Jesus's birth to December 25th. Um you then have the chronography of 354, which agrees with that. St. Augustine, around writing around 408, also agrees with December 25th. But the December 25th date doesn't become universal. You have other figures like Epiphanius of Salamis, writing around the year 375. Um, so well after some Christians were already celebrating December 25th. He says Jesus was born either on January 5th or January 6th. And uh, he mentions another group of of individuals called the Allogai, who also said Jesus was born on January 5th or January 6th. Now, ultimately, both December 25th and January 6th came to be prominent days on the liturgical calendar. And the church ended up saying, "Okay, we're going to celebrate Jesus's birth on the 25th and we're going to use the uh, January 6th as Epiphany when the wise men show up. Okay. Um, but they both were originally competing days for the birth of Jesus, and they weren't the only ones, as we've seen. There were others as well, and so it's quite possible. I don't want to dispute that Jesus was born on December 25th at all. He very well may have been, and that is one of the early traditions. 
Um, it's also possible that that was based on other factors because in the ancient world at this time, December 25th was reckoned as the winter solstice when the days begin to get longer. And you when, when you then have Christian iconography depicting Jesus based on the Old Testament prophecy as the sun, the great light that shines upon people rising with healing in its wings. And it, it could be natural to link the advent of Jesus to to the uh, to the winter solstice. So even if he was born in the winter, the fact that Jesus is the great giver of light to mankind spiritually could get attracted to that date um, okay. for that reason. But I don't know. It is an early tradition that he was born on December 25th, and that could be the case. Okay. So, so is this the bottom line? What, what is our bottom line for this? I mean, it, uh, we're, we're, you know, it, we're not, so what you're saying is, is we're not certain, but it doesn't really matter. Is that, is that, is that the bottom line? It, it, it also is possible that he was born on December 25th. I would like to, though, give us a, a slightly more positive or more definite note to end on, because unfortunately, the evidence doesn't allow me confidently to say he was definitely born on this date or that he definitely wasn't. But there is something about his birth that we can be definite about, or at least more definite about. And that's not the day, but the year. Hmm. We have better evidence concerning the year that Jesus was born. In um, Luke's gospel, in Luke chapter 3, right at the beginning, Luke gives us a very interesting piece of chronological information. He says the ministry of John the Baptist began in the 15th year of Tiberius Caesar. And we know when that was. And um, you can dispute it by a number of months, depending on which system of reckoning you use. But we know when the 15th year of Tiberius Caesar was. And he then presents Jesus's ministry as beginning immediately thereafter. So it looks like Jesus's ministry begins a few months after John the Baptist. And if that, uh, and if then, as Luke says, Jesus was about 30 years old, you can take the 15th year of Tiberius Caesar, and subtract about 30 from it. And remembering the fact that there is no year zero, we go directly from 1 BC to 1 AD, Jesus would then be born around the year 3 BC or 2 BC. Now, this is not what you hear in a lot of modern textbooks. A lot of modern textbooks will say Jesus was born maybe 6 or 7 BC. The reason they say that is because the Gospels depict Jesus as being born in the reign of Herod the Great, and they depict Herod as slaughtering the infants two years old and younger uh, in Bethlehem. So Jesus would have had to have been born, according to that line of reasoning, at least two years before Herod the Great died. And according to a lot of modern authors, um, Herod died in 4 BC. So you need to back up at least two years from that. That would put Jesus' birth in 6 or 7 BC. Problem is, those Herod didn't actually die in 4 BC. The better evidence is that the traditional date for Herod's death in 1 BC is correct. Hmm. If you back up a year or two from 1 BC, because it doesn't say Jesus was born exactly two years before the slaughter of the innocents. If I were Herod and I was told he was born a year ago, I would tell the soldiers, make it two, right. just for safety. So I would say a year or two. So you back up a year or two from 1 BC, that gives you 2 or 3 BC. The, um, the, uh, the same date that Luke's gospel suggests. 
By the way, if you want to read about the dating of Herod's death, uh, check out Jack Finnegan's Handbook of Biblical Chronology or Andrew Steinman's uh, book, From Abraham to Paul. They both deal with this. Okay. Um, so then there's one other line of evidence for the, um, for the dating of the year of Jesus's birth, and that's the church fathers. Even though they don't have a consensus on the day, they do have a consensus on the year, the 42nd year of Augustus. That would be the back half of the year three and the front half of the year two BC. So we have multiple lines of evidence converging on the end of three or the beginning of two as the actual year that Jesus was born. So even though the date of the day of the year is less certain, the year itself is something we can have a good bit of confidence about. Excellent. All right. Well, that is a positive note, especially as we're about to celebrate the birth yeah. of Christ uh, on the 25th. So uh, so what are some resources people can look to uh, to, to dig deeper into this? So I have an article on uh, at JimmyAiken.com that I wrote on the December 25th question. It documents a lot of the stuff we've been talking about in this episode. So uh, definitely check that out in the show notes. Also, I have a link to Jack Finnegan's excellent book, uh, Handbook of Biblical Chronology. And also I've got a link to the chronography of 354, which is the one that mentions the birthday of the unconquerable on December 25th and also mentions uh, the birth of Christ on December 25th. So uh, that's online. It's free. It's in Latin, but it's just short phrases on a calendar. And um, so it's not too hard to figure out, even if you aren't great with Latin. Um, but uh, rather than just leave people hearing these claims, I thought it'd be good to show you that. So I got a link to the chronography of 354. Excellent. So now we turn to Mysterious Feedback, where the listeners, uh, you've uh, sent in your feedback on our prior episodes. And we start with. Um, Flying Car 100, uh, responding to the episode that we did on cloning, who says, I'm an identical twin. And that's cool. It's always nice to hear from clones, because <laughs> one of the things we covered in the cloning episode is that cloning is a natural phenomenon, and every identical twin is a clone. Excellent. So uh, welcome to the clones. Send in the clones, as they... No one says that. I did. Uh, so, some people have said that. Some people have said that. So uh, also, um, Chrono Snow on YouTube uh, says, there's actually a movie titled Never Let Me Go that tackles the topic of cloning. Without spoiling it too much, it's about a group of clones who were raised in an orphanage and they would inevitably be forced to give up their organs and die so that non-clones can use their organs to live. The only way for these clones to be spared from their fate is to prove that they have souls or can possess true love. This movie was shown to us during our philosophy class when we tackled the topic of souls and thought that you guys might be interested. Uh, P.S. I'm a fan of mystery podcasts, and Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World is my favorite above all of them. Keep up the good work. Well, thank you so much, Carnos. No, that's great to hear. Uh, you might be interested. I wasn't familiar with Never Let Me Go, but I am familiar with some other movies that also... Uh, deal with clones that are being harvested for their organs. A famous example of that is a movie called Parts, the Clonus Horror, which was made, <laughs> I guess, back in the 70s. And it's a, considered a classic of bad cinema. In fact, a while back, they did a riffing of it on um, on Mystery Science Theater 3000. So you can check out Parts, the Clonus Horror. And then more recently, a film with Ewan McGregor 
was made called The Island, mm. which also explored similar themes of a colony of clones being harvest, raised and then harvested for their organs. And uh, that one was similar enough to uh, to parts the clonus horror, only with higher production values, that they had to reach an out-of-court settlement. <laughs> Just because it's a bad movie doesn't mean you can copy it. <laughs> yeah. All right. Excellent. So and then uh, what are some uh, mysterious headlines this week, Jimmy? So um, one from the website Science Alert is an editorial ex where a scientist explains why the genetically engineered Chinese babies that are reported are more shocking than you might realize. There's been a report recently from a scientist in China saying he genetically modified some babies while they were before they were born so that they would be HIV resistant. Um, and there's been a lot of controversy over this, whether it's true or not. If it is, what are the implications? And uh, and this is an editorial which uh, lays out wh what the implications would be and why they could be quite shocking and disturbing and uh, bode ill for our future. So mm. check that out on Science Alert. We also have a, an article on Salon about uh, titled Shouting Match Erupts Over Whether Oumuamua is an Alien Spacecraft. And in case you missed it, Oumuamua is an object that we discovered coming into our solar system from a weird angle, and then it swooped around the sun and accelerated in a weird way that we would not expect a space rock to. And that led some scientists from Harvard to say, maybe it's a spaceship, <clears throat> maybe it's a probe that someone sent, either deliberately or it's a disabled probe. And <clears throat> it may have then used a light sail as it was going around the sun to accelerate. Well, needless to say, anytime you say aliens in a scientific community, it's <laughs> going to get pushback. So people started pushing back. And um, so uh, Salon's article deals with that controversy. I've also got a link to a video on the same subject from PBS Space Time, uh, which is well worth watching. They argue that Oumuamua is not aliens, but as usual with PBS Space Time, they're very fair and balanced, and they they uh, they are very thoughtful. I, I like their show. It in, embodies some of the same evidential values and let's treat other viewpoints with respect that we try to do here on Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World. Excellent. So that's it from us, folks. Uh, what did you think about uh, our discussion of when Jesus was born? Uh, what, what do you think of the evidence? What, did, what is your viewpoint on the question? Let us know by visiting sqpn.com slash mysterious or the Jimmy Akins Mysterious World Facebook page. Find the show there and leave some feedback. Or you can send us an email to mysterious at sqpn.com. And you'll find all the relevant links from our discussion, including links to the mysterious headlines and the further resources that Jimmy mentioned on our show notes at sqpn.com. Until next time, Jimmy Aiken, thank you for exploring with us our mysterious world. Thank you so much, Dom. And to you and all the listeners, regardless of the specific day, Merry Christmas. <laughs> and once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World on StarQuest. Merry Christmas. This is Dom Bettinelli again. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast and that you'll help us keep producing the podcast you love. Thank you for your generosity. To make your pledge and find out about the free thank you gifts we'd like to send you, 
visit sqpn.com slash give. That's sqpn.com slash give.